Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflot and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0 pay per views. We have interviews, <laughs> roundtable discussions, and Round of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Bit of context there. Adam Wilborn did a gesture, of course he did. <laughs> He's just in a gesture going, oh! Like he moved his hands in a way like it was suck it. It was. Except he did it next to his tits. <laughs> it says, Joe, suck it. Suck my tits. So. <laughs> I got two tits for you. (laughs) (laughs) My family works in waste, fish, and tits. (laughs) Anyway, I'm here, joined by the Dadly Boys, Michael Humphrey, Michael Sidgwick, to discuss AEW Dynamite Grand Slam, one of the best Dynamites ever, genuinely, though. Uh, Sidge, it was, of course, your birthday. Yesterday, you not only got this sensational show, there was the madness Daniel Bryan's in-ring debut, him standing on the top rope, greeting the crowd initially with a happy birthday Cedric sign behind him. Insane. Oh, it's just so emotional. I'm sorry. I've forgotten to tag the guy who um, did this for me. I just want to shout him out on the podcast. Thank you so much. There was an additional sign as well. Shout me out because I caught it and I DM'd you in the middle of the night because I was emotional. I was like, holy sh- I got it. Like, I'm watching, I'm saying, I, I like, I, there's Daniel Bryan in his burgundy gear. Brian Danison, perfect night. What am I looking at? That's a Cedric. So I screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. That's my friend's name. <laughs> yeah, I got that DM after the fact. I did notice. Yeah, like, straight away, I was just completely overjoyed. It just felt like a surreal. I've just lived through 2020. Life can't be this good. <laughs> it can't be that nice. And I realised I put in the work, so. <laughs> so, so suck these. <laughs> so suck these tits. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was A.E. Drew on Twitter. That's the one. Thank you very much, A.E. Drew. There are two more. One did make it to camera. One didn't. I will shout you both out during the course of this podcast. When Amphler talks, I'll just tune him out and scroll to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk. I'm we're gonna... already marks. We've talked about what yeah, we liked about the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, Jeremy Jakobowitz. Uh, probably butchered your surname, yeah, Jeremy. Brunch Boys, said. Brunch Boys on Twitter, uh, who spotted the touch grass uh, sign that was made by, hold one second, caller, um, made by Travis, AEW underscore one on Twitter as well. Uh, ridiculous, all these signs that people are taking to wrestling shows for us, but I, I jumped out of my chair 
seeing that this morning. Uh, and uh, Jake Mezzanetti uh, as well, who made a sign uh, with happy birthday this week and the word belated next to it as well, just in case he pops <laughs> up on Rampage instead. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the show rather than the sign, Sige. Uh, perfect. There was one more sign. Oh, I'll look oh, for right. that. You talk about how good the show was. And the show, to give my succinct take before I try and do the opening match justice. J. Antonio Teodoro, J. Antontio are on Twitter. Yes. What a lovely guy. His sign didn't make it on Twitter. And unfortunately, he put an E in the middle and he felt bad about it. And I'm oh. thinking, don't feel bad about that. You've gone to the effort to put me over and share your mega fandom. You will never <laughs> know how much that means to me. It's awesome. There will be a portion of the podcast listenership who just want to talk about the matches. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but that was, you know, a really touching moment from everyone who um, showed their support. It meant the absolute world to me. Uh, this Dynamite ruled. I thought this Dynamite was in the top tier. Um, it was gorgeous. I couldn't find a single flaw. There was moments where I thought that could have been handled better or that possibly went on a bit too long, but that was possibly the highest high in Dynamite history. And in a less good match, I got similar just feelings of total euphoria over pro wrestling magic and everything else was either broadly good, very good, or super fascinating on several levels. The atmosphere was incredible. The backdrop was incredible. As Hamlet says, ironically, it's not a great time to be a wrestling fan. <laughs> but as Hamlet says, and it's perfect, it's a great time to be an AEW fan. Yeah, the reason why this podcast coming out a little bit later than usual is because you were in charge of uh, writing ups and downs for whatculture.com. Go and check them out. Go and read them. It speaks volumes that there were zero downs uh, on this show. Hamlet, what did you make of it all? I wasn't as high on the episode overall, and yet... Highest high was the exact phrase I was going to go up with in mm. terms of dynamite history, in terms of that opener, in terms of the look of the show, which even then could have been better. I know it sounds like I'm just like grasping for utopia. As amazing as it looked, it was like, light them up. Look how high that building goes. Let me see more of them. I don't need this purple and blue light and all that sort of stuff. I don't think this made the elite tier of dynamites. And I mean that as a compliment to the really great episode of Dynamite. This was a fabulous episode of wrestling television with one of the great, and I mean instantly top five without me needing to consider the other candidates TV wrestling matches ever. So it belongs in that like God tier conversation. I'm looking forward to going through this actually, because I think like there's probably going to be a lot of hearty, but pleasant disagreements over the stuff that we thought worked and didn't because I, the energy was just irrepressible off the back of that opener. Nothing could really fail, but I just think it's interesting to go through the stuff that maybe didn't work, maybe as well as it could have done, considering the atmosphere and considering what they'd managed to establish. Hell of a shout to claim that they're going to put that on first, and then they did. Well, I mean, I just, it's, a lot is changing, and is like, I say that in present tense, because it's changing all the time. Um, we talk about, I, I'm just as guilty of thinking of it the old-fashioned way, save the Usos and Roman Reigns versus the New Day for a Survivor Series, to pay for these matters as much as Raw anymore, probably not. It's in line with that. I'm hoping that this Dynamite does its best ever number. I'm hoping the demographic is amazing. And I'm hoping this strategy that they've got of, here's Adam Cole, here's Brian Danielson, here's a Brian Danielson-Kenny Omega match, here's CM Punk. I'm hoping this new method of almost like overloading, like the conversation moves on from that as well. It's not, you can't give them too much. Yes, you can. Just give them too much that night. Give me all of this and then be creative and give me some more next week. Like I want this conversation, if, if this is this... Um, television rat race now and it's always going to be about numbers more than it is pay-per-views because as much as AEW does these awesome buy rates look at rights fee deals mm. like it kicks like pay-per-view buy like pay-per-view profit into a cocked hat doesn't it you know like 
start thinking about television like this. A 30-minute opener, followed by your hottest guy in the on the whole show, back-to-back, and not thinking, what are we going to do to calm them down before we let them back up again? Test yourselves. Make your booking so good that you can afford to do this sort of stuff, and they just that feeling of euphoria will carry and carry and carry to the point where they've cracked it over two hours instead of maybe one or one and a half. They'll get there. Like They're, they're not going to reach utopia, but they're constantly shooting for it, and I love that. I really love that about this. I was going to do a gimmick where I said, oh, we don't really need to talk about the opening match because that just went to a draw, but I'm just kidding with excitement <laughs> to get your thoughts on it, so we're just going to talk about it anyway because that's what we're going to do, obviously. We start off the show with Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega. Non-title match, of course, 30-minute time limit. Oh my God, did they use that time perfectly? I mean, the, 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 looking back... They'd got on with it, might have got to a finish because the first minute, understandably, they were just drinking in this insane atmosphere uh, inside Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, and very early on, simple but affecting a sort of mirroring of moves. So they lock up, uh, Omega pushes Danielson into the ropes, they break, and they do the old, oh, I'm going to break clean, big old chop across the chest. And it's good to see Brian Danielson back in the ring and his chest knows about it immediately. <laughs> uh, same thing happens again, except this time Danielson. Uh, kicks Kenny Omega right in the pecs uh, off the back of it. Uh, Tits. Right in the bloody tits. <laughs> they do these. Um, I'm inevitably, by the way, going to miss several spots in this, so I apologise in advance. I'm sure the guys will cover it, and if not, I mean, you obviously will have watched this match before listening to the podcast, one would assume. Anyway, uh, at one point, Danielson sends Kenny Omega to the outside and just nails him with a tope. You talked about this in the preview, actually, Sidge, about just, oh, this is great, but I'm terrified you're going to die, sort of thing, with, with Daniel Bryan, who... We should be, you know, he's Brian Danielson. I've seen Brian Danielson in All Elite Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Daniel Bryan. Uh, it's funny to think, like, Vincent Mann watching, what's Daniel doing? That's really going to hurt. Like, he's, <laughs> he's actually tuned in this week because he's worried about his boy. <laughs> uh, so they get back into the ring, and uh, Brian Danielson is targeting Omega's arm, obviously. He hits a diving knee to it at one point, uh, but Omega uh, gains momentum by pulling his hair, bastard. Lays in more chops. That chest lights up like a Christmas tree. Uh, Omega goes for you can't escape. Hits that rolling senton bit, but Danielson gets his knees up uh, on the moonsault. Omega hits the bonkers Terminator dive on uh, on Danielson on the outside. And then the, the reaction, I thought, from countering the Kataro Crusher into eventually, off the back of some cradles, into cattle mutilation was just... Yep, well, we're in the 20,000 tennis bloody stadium. You can feel that now. Um, for the move you didn't do in WWE, the casual fan take is dead. That was for cattle mutilation. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it'd be like when, when Owens debut is in January and they go like that for the Steen Eliza. Like, casual fandom is dead. Mm, exactly. Uh, we got to talk about the bit where they went out onto the ramp. Uh, Danielson's continually kicking at him uh, until Omega grabs him, snap suplexes him onto the plexiglass, and they really put over... Just how there's no give in this whatsoever. It's plexiglass on an LED screen on effectively concrete. Um, and yeah, as if that wasn't enough to have you worried whether or not Brian Danielson was going to survive this match. Kenny Omega ran the length of the ramp to hit him with a V trigger as we went to commercial. Just I saw your tweet, so a, qu- a quick word on this from you, Hamlet, in terms of 
Well, make sure you stick around. In one night and in one spot, Kenny Omega obliterated 3,000 dives of Michael Cole saying, and roll rolls on. Can't ever do that again, can you? Because they sent us to their picture-in-picture or the break or whatever version of the line advert you got worrying that Daniel Bryan had been murdered with a knee to the skull. It was like, <laughs> is Dynamite rolling on? Is Daniel Bryan's body rolling on? Like, is it rolling across the floor? It, like, an incredible way. Like, again, television mastery because generally speaking the wrestlers will have the time keys you assume a referee has been like 30 seconds guys and then he goes i'm running that ramp <laughs> like that amazing amazing uh anyway we come back and uh eventually brian danielson recovers uh cradles omega for a two count gets hit immediately though with a spinning heel kick and another v trigger uh omega pops him up on the top turnbuckle uh, but Danielson escapes and hits an avalanche back suplex but lands on his arm as well so he's selling that as they land uh, they continue to trade strikes. Omega hits another V-trigger. And uh, Danielson comes back with a discus forearm and the regal plex for a near fall off the back of that. And then Omega, when he recovers, fights back to hit an avalanche dragon suplex for another near fall. He hits another V-trigger. He sets up the one-winged angel, but Danielson immediately hits a reverse Hurricane Rana to get out of it. He goes for his big knee, but Omega turns it into a powerbomb. And another V-trigger, another near fall. He uh, goes up to the top rope, Omega that is, goes for the Phoenix Splash, but Danielson gets out of the way, he stomps on him, stomps on him, he goes for the LaBelle lock, but he just couldn't quite get into it, and Omega manages to get to the ropes. They trade headbutts, they trade punches, more and more strikes, and as it looks like, they may be just finally giving way and collapsing to the floor, uh, and Omega and uh, Danielson's trying to set up another submission out of nowhere, it seems like, you talked about this, and I'm sure you'll talk about it in a second, about feeling like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine, there's still time, there's still time. The bell sounds, we'd been warned by Justin Roberts about how little time they had left. The bell sounds, it's announced as a draw, and the crowd and the wrestlers are devastated that there's not been a satisfactory finish to this. But what a ride it was. Immediately after the bell, in comes Adam Cole and the Young Bucks uh, to beat down uh, Danielson. They hit him with a double super kick, but then out comes Christian Cage and Jurassic Express to make the save, uh, of course, setting up their match that goes down on Rampage. For a match that had no results, Sige, it was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> the draw was a fair result. <laughs> a draw should be booked more often. Great. Uh, this I slapped five stars on this match, and then I slapped an extra quarter, breaking my scale, not really, um, when I found out that Brian Danielson was okay on Observer Radio. His selling in this match was phenomenal. I genuinely thought at various points, has he suffered a head injury here? He looks dazed. He looks pained. He looks in his eyes like he's been rocked incredibly hard in the head. And then during the match itself, he would fire up. Totally corpus mentis. And I'm thinking, oh Christ, he's just the best at this. He's absolutely the absolute best at selling. Um, but when I found out, I was just so relieved. I was watching him so closely, his expressions, and they were so understated as well. I don't have to fucking stare at his hands or <laughs> tug at his hair. They were so understated and so realistic and convincing that because I was drawn to his face, I noticed just above the bridge of his nose on his forehead. Remember when Kevin Owens headbutted Vince McMahon? Mm. And some say he was never the same since. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was rubbish before, but he was extra rubbish after that. Uh, Danielson had a similar kind of ring there. Mm. And I'm watching that, and I'm watching him sell, and I'm thinking, Christ almighty, is he actually okay? Turns out he is. He's just absolutely amazing at selling. His selling in this match was as good as how much 
how well, sorry, this match was paced. When Justin Roberts said something garbled, I think there must have been a problem with the, the acoustics because by certain live reports, he was saying, there's this amount of time remaining, there's this amount of time remaining to drive the suspense of the potential draw. And the, in fact, the draw was realised. I feel like I only caught maybe like five minutes remaining. It was a one-minute one. Minute one, was it I, one minute, only, yeah. I literally only caught him saying one. But because the match was so immaculately paced, bro, I swear to God, hmm. I thought, five minutes of this, <laughs> five more minutes of this. And it was one, and I was like, you've done tricks with time because you've paced this match so incredibly well and built it so incredibly well to reach that finish. This is unbelievably paced, unbelievably worked. The emotion was incredible. The selling was incredible. Like I had palpitations watching this, and it wasn't just the selling. It was the way that they interacted with each other physically. Like The Young Bucks and Kenny Omega are geniuses at this, and Kenny Omega was doing it brilliantly on the night. They can make your heart just genuinely jump into your mouth, and then before it even goes back down to your chest, they'll do it again. There are no two better wrestling acts on the planet at making them feel, at making you feel like they have just lost or they've just won. Then in a split second, making you feel like they've done the opposite. Mm. The V trigger into the regal plex. I just don't know how he caught him in time before getting his face obliterated. That was absolutely incredible. The ramp spot. What I loved about that was I was scared. I thought that's got to be slippery. What if he falls on his mm. ass? And then I saw the run-up, and I thought, he can't sprint on it. Like, how is this spot going to work? And then I noticed, oh, hang on. This is on a gradient. It's on a downward ramp. So he jumps off it, clears about two feet, and then drives his knee into the exact point where the neck and head meet. <laughs> I'm thinking, how have you not broken his neck? Physical timing was absolutely incredible. I... Wish I could go watch this. This is the first match I'd like to do a watch-along to talk about every individual element of it I love. But my prevailing take was the feeling of, not only is this a masterpiece, not only is it like, it felt almost cruel how fast it was going. Mm. I just did not want it to end. Legitimately, if they went an hour, I don't think they would have lost the crowd once. If they went an hour, they had so many things that they could still do with each other that we've all fantasy booked ahead of this. This could have went an hour, like, quite easily could have gone an hour and those fans would have still been white hot, red hot for this finish. I'm going to kick myself when I go home that I haven't mentioned certain things that yeah. I adored about this match, but it was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it turns out the tribute to Owen Hart wasn't an individual spot, but it was that match he had with the one, two, three kid that was nearly five stars in five minutes. They had one that just felt like five minutes, even <laughs> though it went a half an hour. Yeah, it just absolutely raced by because it was so... So like loaded full of stuff. It's like Cedric says it's the the things you're gonna think about afterwards. As soon as we like turn the microphones off, you're gonna kick yourself. Like I was I had that feeling when I was watching it because I was like, have I already forgotten something awesome that's happened? Because this is whizzing by it's, it's such a clip. And the things they're doing to one another, you can see the damage, you can see bits of their bodies peeling away mm. because they're battling each other. And yet you don't feel like you've been on half the journey until it's even like to justify it. Like, hang on, this is only five, ten minutes. And like the draw thing, you would have easily bought. Oh, is this like a 15-minute TV draw? Yeah, yeah. Like, and then the, if it wasn't for that first commercial break, remind you, wow, we've hit the first commercial, and they're only at this level. Just incredible, incredible pacing. Um, they, their chemistry was, think about the expectation level for this match and for them to exceed it. Like, that was such a hard task, and it went, it went unmentioned because nobody wanted to say, 
we are also hyped about this match that there's like a small chance that it might not deliver on everybody's hype and everybody's expectations surpassed it. Like that, it, you don't really need to say that after the fact because it stands up for itself, but it could have easily fallen just a little bit short and yeah. still been brilliant. Do you know what I mean? It would have still been fantastic and it could have fallen short and it exceeded it. Um, their bodies were so simpatico with one another. I, like, I'm not saying strictly come wrestling because it just makes you jizz everywhere when you're watching it. I'm saying it because it was like watching two dance partners in the best way. Like, I don't mean that in the cooperative sense. I just mean it felt like these were born to wrestle each other. And the last time I had that with Omega was Kazuchika Okada. And as I was thinking that, and again, this is sometimes how wrestlers do this. They've gotten into your brain without you realizing it because they've thought this through. He does the top rope um, Snapdragon, which going back to, I think as Sidgwick referred to it, as like the big bang of all of this. Omega Ricardo won. That was the one spot that even then everybody was like, maybe you should have beaten with that. Like, that's so big. Maybe you should have beaten with that. And they drop it in at that very moment and it gets Kenny this, like, nail-biting too. Um, Brian has not sold. I'm glad, like, we've kind of, like, spent time on Daniel Bryan selling that. For a guy that had one of the most upsetting retirements in wrestling history due to head injuries, in a way, kind of the most serious of all the injuries you can suffer in wrestling... For a guy that had to leave because of that and then was able to get all the way back, and I'll put this on WWE a little bit, he has not sold head injuries, concussions, dazed and confused, as well as his very first match back when he was taking like the extra step to recover against Owens and Zayn. And the whole thing was like, he's so brilliant. He's making me feel anxious. He wouldn't be back doing this mm. if he if he hadn't gone through two years of this like hardcore recovery. Of course he's fine, but he's such an artist at this. He's fooling me. He's not really been. That's not been asked of him in any of the matches he's had since that opener because it kind of made sense in the story. And this was even better. This was even better, and it wasn't off the back of he's been gone for two years. Should he have come back? This was to get Kenny the power of Kenny Omega's knees over. That's why he sold like that was to make you think. This knee is so hard-hitting, it could undo two years of head injury rehabilitation. That's how hard this man hits. I couldn't get away from the fact. We had a little, I don't even say tiff. It's not 2019 Wednesday Night Wars. We, me and Sidgwick disagree slightly on the impact of Kenny Omega's AEW title run. Last night was so, for me, was so powerful in informing the drama of every Kenny Omega title defense from here on out because I love Kenny Omega taking the piss. I really, really enjoy it. But I think that's something of that. Like, there's a certain spine that's been missing in some of these title matches because he's this piss funny guy with daft hair and you know, funny beard and all that. No longer. He can still have the funny beard and he can still have the daft hair. But look what he did to, like, to Brian Danison last night. Mm. Like, every hangman page has got to beat that guy. He's not just got to get over all of his hunch. He's got to beat that man from last night. And that's so helpful for everything Omega's going to do going forward. And the brass balls on them to not lose sight of an entirely different story. Adam Cole thinks he's better than Kenny Omega, and he delivers what he believed to be the real kill shot on Brian Danielson last night. It was cheap, it was ugly, it was nasty, it was after a beatdown, but who got the last dig in? Like, who actually put, like, Brian Danielson down? It was Adam Cole, and I just thought the, the sheer confidence to think of how to get something across in a post-match angle, in a ring clear-out, yeah. and you've done that, and it's like, Jesus, like... the. Watch this wrestling show. Like, what are you doing? There's not many companies we would praise to think, like, not just like you say, you've got Cole, you've got Omega, you've got Danielson, you've got Paige, you've got Punk, you've got all these other people that you can give fallout from a match that had no result from next week, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know. It's just absolutely unbelievable. I'll get to that post-match angle in a bit because there's two more things, or three more things I want to mention. I still don't know how they did this. I'm trying to work it out because... 
you've all watched the match. You've all had the feeling, and I don't think anyone can articulate it because they're masters of the craft, the dark arts of how to pace a match. It wasn't as if they just went 100 miles per hour the entire time. A lot of it was pulsating, but they didn't go 100 miles per hour the whole time. They didn't also do the whole right 15 minutes in a certain gear, and then we'll race up the end. Didn't grab a hold. Like, Ever? I, don't yeah, think I don't think they, they grabbed that many holds. Like, obviously, Daniel Bryan was doing submissions and stuff, but they didn't do the usual... I'm going to say, WWE things of wasting eight minutes to make it feel epic at the end. Like, So we're talking about how this match is completely just the space-time continuum. <laughs> <laughs> and yet they were doing things like the very suspenseful top rope to build the fright of the head drop or the near head drop that was to come. If they're taking their sweet time doing that for a purpose to drive the tension and the anxiety and making the fall feel worse than it probably is... How did it go that fast if they're taking that? I just mm. don't know on earth how they paced this as well as they did. It was absolutely phenomenal. And in on that, those climbs up the ropes, it was all germane to the story. It's very, it can be easy to do a, oh, we're as, we're as good as each other as wrestlers, so we're going to work a match where we mirror each other, where we kick out the same amount of things. They did a lot of that because that's the story, and yet it just felt so much more transcendent than like the obligatory trope checklist, like the, Dares like the backdrop suplex and the, the top rope snapdragon. And yet they took a sweet time setting it up. And I just didn't feel like they were taking any time at all during the match. It's just total magic. Shawn Michaels gets loads of stick, rightfully so. I've just given some there. With yeah. the hair pull. I with the hair pull. Um, obviously, he trained, well, at the very beginning of Brian Anderson's career. You know, helped train him a little bit. Um, there was some bits last night in the way that, Dan, that Brian Anderson controlled his body that reminded me of Shawn Michaels at his very best. We talked about something related to something else, one of my favourite spots ever, which is Shawn Michaels falling off the ropes at the Royal Rumble and it looking accidental. We, refer, we were relating that to something else. But um, there was a couple of times... I getting worked by that. <laughs> couple of times yeah. in this match, couple of times in this match, where uh, both men, but especially Brian, because of the head injury stuff, he stopped moving like a wrestler in danger. You know what I mean? You know the difference yeah. between, like, if you see, it's not ice, but, like, somebody getting battered in real life and their body goes limp in all the way in uncomfortable ways. Brian started doing that. And I think that's, that, like, that takes things to another level sometimes. And I think wrestlers, understandably, kind of have to force themselves to forget that because it looks, it can look ugly and it can look uncoordinated and it doesn't quite feel right. If anything, it sometimes feels too real. But, I, again, I just think, like, Brian nailed that last night. There were a couple of times. It was the way he was getting flung across and out the ring and just like, he, he's so slick and quiet. He's this perfect technical wrestler. And for a second, like somebody's pulled a wire out or something. Like <laughs> one of those knees, one of those V-triggers has like knocked a, a wire loose. So he's like staggering around a little bit. He's uncoordinated. He's the opposite of who he is. And that's how Kenny can take advantage. And I just, it, like the inclusion of that was so artful. I'm not saying any of Brian's latter-day stuff was artless in WWE because it wasn't. He was trying to save the game from the company that was killing it. But he wasn't operating on that level. Like, he was, he definitely elevated his game last night. Every time you say something, I want to say something more. <laughs> Just the way this match was, I say three more things. You mentioned how it wasn't like Daniel Bryan, and you've got the exact same take as me, I expect. There's an art to what Danielson did as Daniel Bryan. Mm. That's as impressive as anything he's done. He made this sort of... He had a bit of a five moves of doom quality to him. And, like, he just perfected the form of doing that and doing it well in WWE. I don't like this take that, oh, it's so great having the dragon back. It is, but I don't like the 
the subtext or the implication of, oh, because Daniel Bryan could only do so many things. It wasn't, well, diet, it wasn't diet Daniel, was it? Like, no, he was still know. awesome. Yeah. It, was, it was probably more impressive to how he got WWE to think that style was worth putting in pay-per-views. Mm. And I thought he had great matches in WWE, and I thought he adapted as best he could to those uh, confines and did them fantastically. Two more things, I promise, before we move on. I say a lot on these podcasts. It's old school WCW fandom when he saw Stunning Steve Austin's old finish. Use the ropes as a weapon. The idea of getting flung throat first or like weird body part first into those ropes and given that like, it's the canvas. You can almost feel what it feels like to take a bump on a canvas because everyone's falling over. Mm. You know, it sucks and it resonates as something that looks like it sucks on that basis. I can't imagine getting like put in ropes. Cables. Yeah, like yeah. I can't imagine. Unless you're IRS. Like. Never, yeah, never yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> when I thought, oh, God, he's going to do a buckle bomb. No, he's not. He's going to power bomb on the top rope and then flip over. I was disgusting yeah. in the most awesome ways. One more thing, I promise. Again, he went loose. He went loose. Yeah. Like, he looked like star-shaped as he felt on the floor. There was no, <laughs> like, clean. It couldn't be clean, but do you know what I mean? He made it uglier than it even was, I think. Yeah, incredible. One more thing, and this was so understated in how well it was filmed and what it led to, that even though it was a horrible thing to do from a heel... I, I was still relieved because I thought, oh, Christ, that means the thing before it was planned. When they went to the draw and they were separated, doctors swarmed. The medical staff swarmed to the ring, and I'm thinking, one of them looks really concerned about uh, Danielson here. What job he did. I don't know if it was Samson or one of the others. But I thought, because oh, I was so on the hook of Danielson being completely knackered mm. and, like, potentially injured. You're thinking it's real, as you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Point of <laughs> absolutely. And... Uh, I'm thinking, oh, Christ, does he be V-triggered into, like, <laughs> a concussion, as you said? And then Adam Cole super kicked him in the face when he looked at his most vulnerable because it's a work. And I'm like, oh, God, thank God it's a fucking work. Thank God it's a goddamn work. Uh, an absolute masterpiece. How many times have we sat on these podcasts? Oh, no, Jesus Christ, it went 14 minutes. Mm. That was too long. <laughs> and then they went 30, and I'm thinking, give us another half an hour. Yeah. Sensational. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, this has been our done. Oh, that was, that, was the owner. that was the owner. Sorry, wasn't it? Yeah, that was followed, as you mentioned, Hamlet, by CM Punk, who came out, uh, got an insane reaction, despite how exhausted the crowd were, probably were after that 30 minute draw, uh, and quite rightly says, Well, oh, I'm bloody glad I'm not wrestling on Dynamite, basically, tonight. He says, How do you follow that? It's been a long time since he's been in New York City, and an even longer time since professional wrestling has been there. Uh, he said, The fans have talked about wanting the old CM Punk. Well, be careful what you wish for. Uh, he also talks about the fact that he wanted to come out here and mean mung after what happened between him and Team Taz. But every time he, he uh, the music hits and he comes out to court of personality and hears that crowd reaction, he's just so happy to see everyone that he can't help but smile. Just brilliant honesty here from Punk. Um, he says, uh, it's been so long since he's been here that it almost pisses him off. Uh, nobody can take this from him. And he, he turns his attention then to Team Taz and particularly Powerhouse Hobbs. He said, look... You tried to put me through a table. You should have put me through a table. You should have broken my neck. You should have finished the job. You are sleeping on my legacy, he says. Uh, but it's my job to wake you up and then tuck you back in. At Rampage, he says, powerhouse Hobbs goes to sleep. Hell of a promo to follow, uh, Danielson Omega. This goddamn wrestling show, man. This was the promo equivalent of Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson. Yeah. <laughs> back to back. Um this is what I'm talking about, man. Like, you had uh, Adam Cole appear 10, 20 seconds after CM Punk's music finished on last week's episode because they've got faith in these fans being super invested in the things that you've been given reason to be super invested in. So why not just double down effectively? Like, all sort of, all received wisdom, common logic will be say, well, the f- these fans are going to be knackered. 30 minutes, and that 30 minutes, they're going to be knackered. Well, Wake up, wake the f- like like Powerhouse Hobbs is going to do before he's tucked in by CM Punk. Because <laughs> what a goddamn string of lines that was. Because this guy can still sell fights better than m- like most wrestlers. One of the best ever. Um, I am uh, like my heart is fluttering whenever CM Punk's on television. I, this has readdressed a, a relationship that I didn't even think I ever had with this man. Like he is unbelievable at this. Cannot wait for the Powerhouse Hobbs match, and I don't even think it's going to. It's going to, I don't think it's going to be as good as Darby Allen, but I think it's going to play with the same ideas, which is that like he's having to get back to basics and he's having to uh, kind of like remind himself how to do this. And he, I, I expect him to win, obviously. I don't know if it's going to be to establish the Anaconda Vice instead of the go to sleep, but either way, it's going to be this struggle for him. It's going to be a difficult night for CM Punk. Um, these are never difficult nights for CM Punk because I'm not sure there's anyone better in the world. And how ideal is it that you put him out there to be the best in the world at talking after you've just put the two out there that are the best in the world at wrestling, like it's as a way to sell. Again, I keep thinking of like, this is the perfect mix of wanting to analyze why this is so good for audiences, as well as it is just good as a form of entertainment. You know, I could sit here once upon a time and defend NXT blind, even if no one was watching it, you know. This is both. This is both because it's like over half an hour, well, no, because that was one match, over 45 minutes to 50 minutes, you've been like, we're the best at every bit of this that you love. 
Like, why on earth would you go anywhere else? If you've tuned in, you've got your Brian Danielson, and you're even thinking of flicking over, and then CM Punk comes out, you're like, well, I'll stick around for this. Mm. By the end of that, and this promo, you're thinking, I've got to give this wrestlers two hours ago. I'm not switching over for anything. I know that people's attention spans are shorter than they used to be, but I just cannot see, after a promo as good as this, where he hit everything, like, personally, I ever could have wished for him to hit, but I just feel like tonally it made all the sense in the world as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said it like that in a preview. But, like, it just, it hit all the things it needed to in the, old, in the old way. Like, in the, like sell a match. Promo. How often do we talk about that? Promote. And he did that effectively as well. This is... Like, every pro wrestler, in, the, in my mind, every pro wrestler, certainly in North America, is watching this and wishing they were there. They, they have to be. And it's not just like you said there. It's not just the 45 minutes of wrestling and promo that we got there. And add to what you said, you also watch that and go, well, I better clear my schedule on Friday night because I can't miss 100%. CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs either. What do you think of the promo, Sige? What I think is I love not being a grifter with an agenda who has to be right all the time. To prove himself like a whatever superior take lord. Because <laughs> 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 I was wrong. I was totally wrong. And I love to be wrong. And he rubbed, literally rubbed, uh, I don't think he was directing this to me. I'm not that arrogant. But there's a sentiment, and I wasn't not on board with it about how, right, happy Phil. Uh, I, I love that you're happy. I'd rather you were earnestly happy than performing according to the rule to beat some storyline, because emotion transcends literally everything. And he did the work and the emotion all in one, and I believed the emotion, and I then believed the work because I believed the emotion first. I just wish he'd said, he'd send me to a dark place, Cubs. <laughs> you don't want to go there with me, Cubs. I got great Cubs. <laughs> I'm in your head. With me cranberries. It's <laughs> not edges, isn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's just great. He was never not going to be able. He's never going to be able to say powerhouse house. Blah, blah, blah. Like he's going to get these reactions forever. A lot of people want him because they are live in the audience seeing CM Punk for the first time in seven years. That's maybe me. The first That's time. Me. I want to buy a ticket for that. That's a, he wants to buy a ticket for the Punk retirement. Uh, the Punk comeback to her. Mm. So he kind of has to do this, like on a practical level. He can't no-sell it. It would be fake. It would be not what the fans At least want. until the, the noise dies down. Yeah, the novelty. Yeah. He said it himself. The novelty will wear off, and until he does, he's just going to do this because he kind of has to. He doesn't not want to do it. You can see it in his face, and that's the beauty of it. But he's managed to take this thing that he has to do that he wants to do and fold it into his storyline with Team Taz. I thought it was tremendous. I think he's created a T-shirt. It's not my job to wake you up. It's my job to put you there, uh, to tuck you back in. Like, if a wrestler came up with something like that in the 90s, he'd be seeing it every single week. <laughs> and he's just, just going to say it once because he's got more of them in the chamber. He saw me on a match. He deftly, oh, deftly wove the thing that you can't not do and the thing that he has to do in one deft package with fiery delivery, iconic line at the end of it, total passion. Total composure, total control of the crowd. Deft is what this was. In an ad break <laughs> last night, it did the rounds on Twitter. Um, they played a Team Taz video, I think. And it came was, out of War Machine, Jesus Christ. And it was set to War Machine. Cult of personality in War Machine on, on Friday. 
Why That's, don't they what? give... To be fair, I was going to say they should give War Machine a hook, but, like, who will probably come out with something that, like, us 36-year-olds just yeah. haven't heard of and it's really cool. Yeah. So I don't want to impose, like... Hook's like this person who's like, they were all compelled by Hook because it's like, you're very cool. <laughs> I don't know anything about you and your lifestyle. Oh, days are in the past. <laughs> yeah. Like that as the Teen Taz music is perfect because like you can imagine like Taz going into a sound studio and bullying people into it. It's my goddamn music. <laughs> Everything I know about Gene Simmons means that ain't coming cheap. <laughs> so it's a pipe dream. Also, I just love the mental image there tonight. Mr. and Mrs. Sidgwick so tucking their kids in. So it's just wish me my job to tuck you in. What was that, Michael? Nothing. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Also, I'm that's funny because I've been screaming "Go to sleep" for my fucking two years. <laughs> um, I forgot to ask you about the opener. Thoughts on the fundamentals? Great fundamentals. <laughs> okay, I thought so. Uh, right, let's move on to MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, they come out. Uh, MJF react. MJF gets a. Well, we'll talk about the reaction in a second, particularly from his parents. <laughs> the sign that said we were MJF's parents. I mean, we think he sucks. And he responded on Twitter, F off, mom. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, anyway, he comes out, cocky bastard that he is. They're there in the ring. Brian Pillman's just been, you know, bubbling for everything that he's, that's been said about the Pillman family. MJF goes, handshake for the match. <laughs> Pillman's having none of it. Double leg takedown, beats him up a bit of it, keeps up the attack. Uh, MJF out of nowhere thinks so it was a good idea slapping the taste out of his mouth that'll get this thing going he does that of course Pillman immediately hits back with one of his own and MJF begs off and then uses that as an opportunity to fire Pillman's face right into the turnbuckle um, we come back from the break MJF's in control he's taunting Pillman about his late father uh, and then Pillman recovers Gets out of the way, hits a crossbody, but because MJF's been targeting the arm, he can't do anything, can, can't even get a pinfall, if I remember. Um, but he's still fighting, he's desperate to, you know, protect his family's legacy. Forearms MJF for all his worth, thrust kick. He gets MJF and he just smashes his face into the turnbuckle over and over again, and the fans are loving this. Um, hits a snap power slam, gets a two count. MJF uh, powders to the outside. Pillman goes to hit a dive, but because Julia Hart is... Is Brian Pillman Jr. second out there? Wardlow's on the other side. Of course, MJF just grabs her and pulls her in the way. And nothing happens. He uses the distraction, hits a clothesline, uh, and then he, he jaw jacks with, with Julia Hart and gets a gets a slap for his troubles. That allows Pillman uh, to hit a diving drop kick into all this. Um, and he's setting up. Brian Pillman looks like he's got the match one. MJF staggering about in the ring. He goes for that classic springboard. MJF catches him though puts on the salt of the earth and just yanks on that arm for as much as he can for a submission from Brian Pillman Jr. MJF outsmarts Brian Pillman Jr. What did you think of this match, Hamlet? i got to be honest, I think your recap was more dynamic than the match itself. Um, that was a credit to you for getting some of that over in a way that I'm not sure the wrestlers did. Um, I, I think I know the problem, and it's not a problem problem. Brian Pillman Jr. maybe isn't ready for this spot, and that's okay, because he's really young to this, and it's going to take time. And this felt big time. And sometimes you don't know until the night if the stage is going to be too big. That's just the reality of wrestling sometimes. It's always worth taking the chance. Never don't try it, but sometimes it's not going to work. And I did think whatever his... I mean, well, I know, I know I've taken a goddamn bump in my life, but whatever his limitations are, I think we're kind of laid bare mm. here a little bit. However, to, so to not pile entirely on Brian Pillman, I think there were a few other things wrong with this as well. Um... It went too long, yeah. and we talk about time. When we talk about time, we talk about it if it's to the detriment of the enjoyment of the, the match and of the show. And 
this was both. This went too long, not because it wasn't this feud that they hadn't tried to work towards over two weeks and it was supposed to feel like a fight, but it went too long because it wasn't really in service of what the crowd needed. If, and I'm saying if, the crowd needed five minutes to catch their breath after that opener and the match, you give them five minutes to catch their breath and you get them up again for MJF getting the win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I enjoy that last minute after four minutes of having this bit of a mini scrap, but no more. Um, the layout almost flattered Brian Pillman too much when he didn't have that much to give to it. Um, and I also think, and I've said this on another review, I'm really enjoying MJF, but I'm starting to feel like he's so good that he's too far from his ceiling than he should be. Like, I think this is an AEW criticism. He was in that Jericho feud for so long that we weren't getting enough MJF singles matches. And we need more of them yeah. because I think this would have been better had MJF done a bit more in terms of singles matches in the last year or so. Um, he's brilliant and you can just see something even more special than what you've already got in terms of matches because we've seen glimpses of it before. We know he can, like Jungle Boy, John Moxley, um, elements of the first Chris Jericho singles match. I just, he wasn't, he wasn't the general that we know he can be here when Brian Pillman and this runtime really, really needed it. And I just think it, what I felt what I felt from this point was Dynamite heading into that post first hour sag. And I, I didn't really want it for how Arthur Ashe looked. So this this failed for me, I think. It succeeded for me, but it didn't succeed for the audience because of the sequencing. It was one of those things where you kind of have to give this nine minutes because you want to equalize the build in how much MJF got in it and how much he embarrassed the family and talked trash about the family. Like you want to give him Pillman Jr., a lot of this match that he salvages something in defeat. He's got the profile of the stage with MJF, the mini program, which is white hot on telly because of how great the promos were. You needed to give him quite a lot in the match to not make him look like this dick who's just a vessel for MJF to get over by being a total bastard. Brian Pillman Jr., I still think very, very, not green, but maybe green, a bit raw, a bit basic, as I've said before, like his work and style is a throwback. And like the fire is good. It's nice. I like the layout of the match, like a great deal. Um, but his style, I don't know. I just think it doesn't work in front of that audience in a different way to MGF's does. MGF's is more timeless. Ryan Pillman Jr.'s is like in, in a time capsule, if you like, and I just don't know how much it gets over. Um, and the thing about the match quality as well is I really like the story getting told. They allowed... Pillman Jr., when he, like, deliberately left his head open for the big boot, because that's what he just done to MGF. MGF thought he was the smart one. Pillman Jr. jerked his head back. MGF took the slapstick fall. That was a really good spot. But the idea was, MGF, and I like thinking about this, about professional wrestling, he was laying a trap the entire time. He was weakening the arm throughout. No one could get Brian Pillman Jr. when he needed him. He decided to be an obnoxious prick in front of Julia Hart, raised the temperature of Pillman Jr., flew off the top rope, right, I've got you now. I really, really like yeah. that. Pillman Jr., I'm going to double bury him here, but it's in service of a point. Is not Dynamite TV match ready in terms of how good he is. And I know this because the Young Bucks had the best tag team run I've ever seen as tag team champions. If you go back and watch that run match by match by match, like the worst of the bunch was against the Varsity Blondes by like a, quite a decent... Uh, distance 
because the Bucks had a match with the Acclaimed, if you remember, like just as the year 2020 was turning, 2021. Mm. And that was class, like yeah. quite unfathomably class. I never really got that from the Varsity Blondes. Like I think they need a lot more work. Inspired pairing, I would give them reps. As soon as the indie scene opens up yeah. a lot more. And I know pretty much has, so I don't know what they're thinking. Like, there's a lot of these guys need reps, and Pillman Jr. is one of them. Yeah, I've got to agree with that, to be honest. Uh, next up, we got a promo that will only add fuel to the conspiracy theory that uh, WWE owns AEW. Because we got a line here from Jake Hager. Man of the year. <laughs> More like boys of the week. Oh, <laughs> It's a horrible idea from bad creative. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing a promo about their match with the men of the year that goes down on Friday night on Rampage, of course. Uh, Hager had that line and uh, a nod to Dan Lambert and the, the catchphrase that Jericho pulled out the previous week as well. Um, Jericho says, why would you want to fight with the inner circle in New York? But anyway, it's time for the men of the year to take their beating. And he sells, sells us on uh, on that and Lambert potentially bringing America's top team to Rampage. Be careful what you wish for. Chris Jericho is all I'd say there. And then we go uh, back to the ring. What do you think of the promo, Sid? <laughs> Let's go back to the ring. <laughs> I just did the moment's face and popped out. Um, the boys of the month, whatever it was. Boys of the Ru- week. Boys of the week. Absolutely rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. WWE stuff. I've not seen a single Rampage taping spoiler. Even about like, oh, this was good. Check it out. I won't spoil the result. And like, please don't on Twitter. I've got the best. Yeah, I've got the best please timeline don't. and the best followers because I get none of that. So mm. please, long way that continue. I trust you all implicitly. So why did I ask? <laughs> um, the saving grace of this promo and this rubbish feed is that me and Hamlet, same brain take here, the Jericho and Hager tag team rules. Genuinely does. Yeah. So I've got high expectations for this. Yeah, I, like this didn't particularly sell me on the fight, but Jake, uh, Chris Jericho has somehow like used his wizardry to typically get Jake Hager, one of the biggest pops on any show he's on. It's the weirdest thing. There's like multiple cases where there's objective evidence that Jake Hager might be the biggest star in AEW <laughs> because you've had like inner circle run-ins or something where like, oh, here's Proud and Powerful and the fans like, it's Jake Hager! Like, it's, it's like <laughs> Hogan's music's just hit or something, and he's finally hit the ring. It's ridiculous. So that should work. Um, they still have a problem. I, like, I want to offer a take on Dan Lambert a little bit later on as it relates to somebody else. But they still have a problem, in my opinion, with um, American top team in that those UFC guys haven't been really established as a threat. And... I think it's nice, the idea of Chris Jericho being like, I'm not afraid of you. But strictly in a pro wrestling context, I wouldn't be either. They've stood there looking pretty awkward in the wrestling ring. Do you know like, I, Yeah, I'm, so, I'm maybe still they're stood gonna get there there, going, it's Andre and Junior Dos Santos. Don't say that, because they're genuine you know, yeah. heavyweight champions of UFC. But if you just go, these are MMA people, you go, cool. And it's like, like I don't mean this to be as cruel as it sounds, but it's a bit like when Cain Velasquez turned up at the end of that SmackDown, and it was like, why is Brock to scare him then? Fill us in. Like the tees <laughs> with his big watch on it. Yeah, like the arms folded. Oh no. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on to Cody Rhodes returning to face Malachi Black. Uh, before we talk about the match, I've got to know your thoughts on that gear. The Captain America and the cape. How long that cape was? It was huge. I loved how much the Rhodes family clearly loved how they looked, especially in context of this match, this performance, and a couple of very specific spots that were set up to let you know that, and I don't even want to say at long last, because that sounds like being cruel to Cody, but everybody's read the room. 
And it's pretty exciting to think that now they've read the room, we get to see where all this goes. And I think the gear was very, very much part of that. When he was a heart on his sleeve, flag-waving babyface in this crap against a go-go, I was like, Jesus Christ, mate, what are you doing? This was an altogether more fun version of that. I think maybe that's generous. I don't know. But I, that's how I took it. I thought it was a nice nod to, like, you know, the pure Captain America. He doesn't do, a, doesn't do anything by halves. <laughs> He's hit shot blocks and pushing <laughs> the referee out of the way later. This, this guy's kind of an asshole. <laughs> it's wise guy. What's he doing? You know, that's that's what I was thinking. What do you think, Sid, before we talk about the match, of course? Um, I thought maybe it was, like, one long... You know when Hogan... 95 decided to be the most Hogan ever. Maybe it was just like, I'll just be that little bit more Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I will get this over. No, no, I think Hamlet's take isn't that generous. There's a clear moment in this match, like a clear moment where it's like, either you toss her, what are you doing that to Paul Turner for? Or 2018's coming back. 2018 Cody heel. If oh, if you if you don't remember, revise. AW is fine with a blonde wig over the logo. <laughs> 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 Like 2018 heel Cody, me and Hamlet pop about him over the desks like once a When he was week. campaigning for president on being the elite. He was campaigning for president on being the elite. That H- hated flip. Hated flip. That goddamn cut where Brandy Rhodes has been concussed. <laughs> Super card of honor 2018 in the midst of the match with Cody and Kenny Omega and Flip's tending to her. And she's like, you're a good friend, Flip. And she's like, she's got a concussion. And like the camera just goes, it goes into the Cody's dressing room and he's popping bottles. <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah, there's so much potential. Here. If you think this is a golden era, like literally Cody will make a platinum if he turns heel because he's the best at it. So let's talk about the match and, and how we got to AEW fans just outright booing Cody Rhodes, <laughs> uh, which is insane. And we talked about it a little bit on a, on a podcast we did earlier on today about matches that casual fans need to watch if they're just getting into AEW. Uh, so they go back and forth early on. Uh, Cody knocks uh, Alistair Malachi Black. I'm on WWE head today. Oh, Malachi Jake. Black down with her, with her, with her right. <laughs> oh, so like JR's earlier when he was like, uh, don't forget later on, Cody Rhodes versus Malachi. No, not Malachi. Ma- Malachi. Malachi Black. And I was like, <laughs> you just said Malachi Black three times. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, Malachi Black gets knocked down with the right hand, uh, but gets back, uh, back into it by leg sweeping Cody. Uh, Cody goes to the outside and Black does that thing where he feints a dive, backflips and sits cross-legged in the ring. To which Brandy goes, well, this is my opportunity. He rolls in and just goes, off, basically, right in his face. That allows Cody to recover and, and uh, attack Malachi Black. Uh, they go out to the ramp, or Cody sends him out there, uh, hits a disaster kick, goes to the spring bo- springboard, but Black nails him with that jumping knee as we go to the break. We come back, uh, there's a uh, cradle exchange, and Black hits the Black Mass, whatever they're calling it, that spinning heel kick, but Cody falls out to the floor. I love that. They did that, in, in obviously, in Derby. I love the desperation mm. of the person who's just hit that kill shot and gone, no, 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 and they just roll out of the ring. He's trying to get him back in. Eventually, he does... Goes to the pinfall, but he's too close to the ropes. Cody gets his foot on the ropes. Um, Black goes for a sort of running attack, but Cody uses a bit of misdirection and <laughs> hits a chop block. Oh, good baby face move that is there. Uh, hits a dragon screw across the ropes. So then the next time uh, Black kicks him and goes for the Black Mass or whatever they're calling it, the leg gives out. Cody sees the opportunity, catches a kick, goes for a crossroads. Black escapes. Cody hits the Cody cutter, hits the crossroads. Great near fall. Arn jumps up on the apron, realizes he's in the wrong position, tries to go round the turnbuckle, falls off. 
thankfully he's fine. He recovers, gets back up on the apron. Uh, Cody gets whipped into on by Black. He gets knocked off the apron properly this time. Cody goes out to check in, and Arn's just, just, I'm fine, just get on with it. He goes back in. Cody's just punching Malachi Black in the corner. He's furious for everything, for what's happened before, for all the family stuff, for this moment now. And like you say, the referee, Paul Turner, I think it was, is that right? That's, that's five, that's five, Cody. And we know that they've given him leniency and stuff before. Let's not forget, you always talk about the bit where he's like, yeah, go on, hit him with a belt because it's MJF sort of thing. Cody just goes, off out the way, Paul. This, you know, obviously spins the official around. So when Cody turns around and the referee can't see it, he gets misted in the face by Malachi Black uh, and rolled up. One, two, three. Malachi Black emerges victorious. It's not the uh, Brody Lee match all over again, Sitch. No, I knew they were going to subvert this um, right at the end. And I'm thrilled they did because it makes me invest in Malachi Black all the more. I'm already thinking that it's great when wrestling promotions push guys because <laughs> then you can be a wrestling fan and get excited about their directions. I'm already thinking TNT title lineage, Miro, Sammy, Malachi is how I've got it in my head. Um, so that's going to rule if, in fact, it does happen. But something's going to happen, and that's the main thing. I thought it was a very good match. I thought the experience of watching this very good match was fascinating and that elevated it as an actual match. At certain points, the crowd were 100% like Cody. Yeah. Bored of this um, act, bored of this sort of isolated island thing that he's on and these different projects, all of which he's doing, not only to get a little bit famous, but with the idea of, well, we can get more eyeballs on the company if mm. I can do that. And it's one of those things where it's like, he can only, he's only allowed to be one University of Cody. Which one is it? The guy who wins all the matches or the guy who decides to do mainstream things to get attention back on the companies. It gave me flashbacks to whenever, like, Cena would face someone, and we'd all kind of know, I'm not saying that we knew Cody was going to win this, but we'd all kind of know the, the formula. So even if the opponent, who was, you know, a generic heel, or more often than not, Randy Orton, gets to hit a <laughs> finisher, people would be like, yes! So when he hit the Black Mass, which is this, like, kill shot that's been knocking out old geezers left, right, and center, people are like, come on! <laughs> and then Cody hits, like, the crossroads, which... You know, used to blow the roof off the place. Like you say, he was this hero in 2019 and what have you. People are like, oh, for f he's won this, hasn't he? It's a, such a surreal experience. Okay, let's have a few more takes mm. on the match. Like, what I loved about was, like, just the oscillation of the crowd reaction. Sometimes Cody's stuff was so good that he did actually get pops for some of his work. And then other times, it's just like, no, we do not want you to win at all. Like, the roof blew off came off when um, Malachi Black <laughs> kicked out of the crossroads. What a stunning near fall that was yeah. as well. It was so, so, so well done. But even when Brandy went to do the thing, it's like, you can't do the cool thing or ruin the cool thing that Malachi Black does with the backflip. And then she flipped the birds and then that brought the house down as well. Like, class. Like, some of the actual work, like the sweeps. I love watching Malachi Black sweep the leg. I think it looks so dangerous and so cool. And yet it actually is one of the least dangerous things you'll see on the show. Absolutely. But it's effective. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely incredible. The time, I, I, Cody doesn't actually believe, and his philosophy is, there are no baby faces and heels. He's going to, and he plays situational, and he'll layer it, shades of grey, shades of grey, et cetera, et cetera. He's pretty much going to have to go 95% <laughs> heel after this. It's like, it's untenable. And he knows this. And what's great is that he did the Paul Turner thing. He's building it. He is building it. He's acknowledging it. He's building it. I think he must have told Malachi Black, like, well, the crack is, like, these are expressive artists doing things because and he must have said, oh, this is the direction, like, play with the crowd a bit. Like, they are going to be yours very soon because as they circled each other at the start um, and, like, they were just mad, mad, mad into Malachi Black, 
Malachi Black, if he hadn't been told, you can do this. Like, this is what you do. Like, he looked at it, who was essentially his boss and mouthed House of Black at him, as if to say, Nova, you're not. thought that was a class moment. I love any kind of what feels like improvisations. The finish of this match was incredible, and it's not just the mist. And it would have been more incredible had referees for, like, the last two years had any amount of consistent respect. It's actually a low-key thing we are working on between Bryce Ramsberg and this tonight. Malachi Black could not have chosen chosen a better pin to obscure the fact that he's just sprayed mist in Cody's face. You could not see Cody's face, nor could the referee. An amazing pin combination mm. after the mist spot, which itself is just always awesome. That's a very good point because I was about to be critical of the finish and I think you've kind of sold me on something there. I wanted a black mass after the oh, mist. My gut, my gut was saying, that doesn't feel right. And you know what made it worse was that what's the thing I pick on the most that I hate in WWE? The guy celebrating on his arse on the ramp. Malachi Black, this killer, who has destroyed this family physically and mentally, is backward crawling out of his victory over Cody Rhodes on his arse, having one with a roll-up. Now, how I've described it there isn't half as elegant as Sidgwick's point. So that's, in that moment, that's kind of like changing my mind on that. And I'll give that, certainly the lack of a black master benefit of the doubt. Um, because it did, didn't hit quite as much for me. The So when Cody beat Brody in the chain match, that felt more like a believable sequel to the battering he took the first time. This didn't, but it, this was on a different planet to that first match. Like, the, the first Malachi Black Cody Rhodes match was this nice kind of fitting tribute almost to the Brody one, and then this way to launch Malachi Black. But this wasn't a sequel to the chain match. This was something altogether different. And I had a lot of admiration. I had more admiration for the real-life guys putting together a match than I did the match I was watching. So the spot where Brandy does the, the double bird off Malachi Black's backflip thing was the whole thing was designed because they knew Cody Rhodes was going to get booed. It's not just that she does that, and it's a pretty cool thing to look at, and our Brandy's back. They kind of know that a lot of people hate Brandy, and they know that a lot of people are not going to like her getting in on Malachi Black's cool thing. But more the point, why give Malachi Black the cool thing if he's supposed to be the heel? They're facilitating the audience, like audience opportunities with which to cheer him, and then what happens at the end of it? Cody jumps him from behind. The guy that you like, we're letting you like him. He's done the thing that you really want to see, and then Cody, who we now know you think is a bastard, has just stopped that. Like, I, I I, was a big, big fan of all the times in this match that they had read the room and they had, this was the beginning of, like, Project Restart for Cody. We've seen that they're the listening company. We've seen when they make steps to fix things. And I think Cody being booed was a thing that, re- rather than he's a heel now, it was this needs addressing. I think more about the, less the Ogogo match and more the Revolution ladder match. That was the night I was like, this feels wrong. And when things feel wrong on the show, you've got to fix it to keep the bond tight with your audience because it's all about trust and it's all about faith. And this, to me, was that. I mm. thought this whole match was agented with all of that in mind. Didn't love a lot of the action, um, but I was drawn in. I was just drawn in by watching the seed change. Um, Arn Anderson's relationship with Cody is low-key one of my favourite things about this entire act. From the very beginning, we were foreshadowing a turn because Andersons and Rhodes just can't coexist. And instead, they've gone into a completely different direction where it feels so goddamn real. Like, we talked about this on another podcast. The times when Arn Anderson would bollock Cody in one of his TNT title matches stood in push-ups because Cody couldn't just help. I've got Warhorse beat. Piece of piss. I'm going to do a few push-ups. And I was like, it's not about that. 
and like there he is meandering around and this one like how real did that feel mm. Arn was a, like IRL embarrassed yeah, <laughs> but think, like I think but a, a good way to act it too because I think that was still scripted that he was supposed to be embarrassed but it was probably helped by the fact that he was embarrassed for real that felt completely real the botch enhanced the drama of this spot immeasurably mm. immeasurably um, yeah, I may want to make that same point as well because that was class. Would your dads or elders or whoever not also feel a little bit embarrassed yeah. if you were picking them up off the floor in no. a situation like that? That felt totally relatable. Then we got a back and forth promo between Sammy Guevara and Miro. Uh, Sammy Guevara obviously not happy for the way Miro attacked Fuego del Sol, a defenseless man after he defeated him, of course, for the TNT Championship on Rampage. Uh, Miro came back saying, yes. God, he broke his neck in 2012, but God healed him. Now God demands pain and his wife demands pleasure. <laughs> he says next week they're going to face off for the TNT Championship. Uh, and Guevara says, when I win, I'm going to buy Fuego del Sol a new car. Miro just keeps coming out with these brilliant lines, doesn't he? He's the absolute best. It's just awesome. Uh, right, let's move on to FTR versus Sting and Darby Allen. What do you think of FTR's gear? Right, it was okay. That no, was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was absolutely fantastic. Um... I allowed myself to enjoy it for what it was, as Excalibur was obviously giving the explanation for anybody that might have thought, oh, God, is this just some like lame tribute stuff? I was like, no, it's because they're fighting Sting. That's the point. I then allowed myself to be five and imagine if NW or Hollywood could jump back to WWE and fight the Wolfpack in the new day. There's the real, the gear dream match. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, no, like, uh, the FTR pay tribute to tag teams of old thing, like, is always this close to, like, tripping up on itself and becoming a bit of a parody mm. more than this, like, love letter. But the match spoke for itself, so the gear became an accoutrement, which is always what it should be. I love attire, but it should always be an accoutrement rather than the entire thing, and that's what it was here. I just love the immediacy of of they do that. Darby Allen starts the match, and they go, no, 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 we want the, mm. we want the old guy. The old guy who's a bit more old and broken down. Sting comes in, immediately overpowers Cash. He's like, oh, <laughs> what we got into here? Uh, but they l- use their brilliant tag team now to take control. A bit, of, a bit of interference in there. There was the bit where uh, Cash is in the corner and Sting sets up and goes for the Sting smash, but Dax pulls him out of the way. And they use, again, that numbers game, the two-on-one advantage, quick tags, et cetera, et cetera, to just isolate, uh, isolate Sting. He eventually gets out there. He gut punches one of them. Tags in Allen, who takes out both of them with a, a huge coffin drop, goes for another out on the floor, but FTR just catch him and just throw him right into the edge of the ring because he's a ragdoll. Uh, we come back from the break. Darby Allen is desperate for a tag, and numerous times he's fingertips away from getting that tag in uh, for Sting, and then eventually I think he ducks, he rolls through a clothesline uh, or underneath clothes, a clothesline from there and gets in Sting and... Yes, Sting gets the hot tag, which is still a mad sentence to be saying in, in 2021. Uh, gets rid of cash, spine buster on Dax, gets a two count off that. Um, eventually, uh, FTR uh, wanting the spike pile driver, I think on Darby Allen, but Sting sends cash out of the way and hits a diving crossbody, bonkers, on Dax. Dax goes to the uh, tombstone pile driver, Sting reverses it, Scorpion death drop. Uh, he, uh, he hits Stinger splashes on both of them. Uh, it gets a stalk, scorpion death drop on uh, on cash, and Dax is setting up the little chair in the uh, little chair. He's setting up a chair in the corner uh, with Tully's help, so that when he goes to Sting and splash him, he's going to move out of the way and blah blah blah. Sting realizes that, stops himself, gets him in the scorpion death lock. Cash is desperately trying to get Dax to get to the ropes. He tries to sort of slide him from the outside and help him. He's effectively laying across the the apron, and Darby Allen coffin drops onto him. Sting. 
drags Dax back into the centre of the ring and gets the submission victory. Breathless stuff. Oh, just what a love letter this was. It turns out that the real way that FTR capture that old magic of cutting the ring in half and their brilliant, like, throwback tag team stuff made contemporary is by doing it to a 63-year-old. Who knew? Um, just joyous from beginning to end. Not a... Um, like not like a five-star no. classic match, but a five-star experience, and that's not the first time we've said that about Sting. Um, he donates his body to these things in ways that he, he raises the stakes each time, and it's kind of like the Sting sales pitch now is like, what's he going to do in this one? But he only raises it just enough that you keep being amazed by it. We were kind of like thinking about the no-sell, this time, he was wise to the big... Th- he, he dodged the chair, but he had the big dive that he'd already done, so you didn't need the no-sell. You got this instead. Because he's smart, because he's done this forever, and he's smarter than the rest of us, and he's Sting. And that's really, really cool. Um, Sting was so good in this, and it was his match, and it was his showcase thing. Just a nice thing to do for a night in front of an awesome crowd. I think he said this, Sidgwick, didn't it? It was like, it's about time Sting had, like, a New York minute. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the place he's never been able to do it. You know, so this was good for him. Um, what was the best... Bit of physicality in WWE in all of 2010. I'll answer the question for you because you can't think of anything because it was banned. Of, it was Bret Hart throwing punches on Heath Slater at SummerSlam yeah. before he got disqualified because his punches are the best ever and Bret's better than everyone. I'm going to keep saying this until I'm pink in the face. Bret Hart needs to come to AEW because they're going to use him effectively as a. He's going to throw some punches on some kids and they're going to have the night of their lives and it's going to feel as good as this and it's going to be Bret. <laughs> I have absolute faith that this company has. About six time machines, ones that can control the pace of a Kenny Omega Brian Danielson match, and the others that can send these guys back to age in these matches to inch perfect precision to have the best nights of their lives. So fun and lovely. And it was good. I don't want to undermine how good it was, but it was just a lovely, lovely experience to see all of this happen in, on this night. The pay per view energy that we've kind of touched yeah. upon, this was probably the where it hit this where it hit that the best. Just the intersection of oh, this is really fun and nice, and oh, this is actually legitimately, literally awesome. Mm-hmm. How they keep doing this with Sting <laughs> is unbelievable. What's he got next? Like, <laughs> people keep saying, do the Young Bucks? Like, yes, yeah. do the Young Bucks. Yeah. Like, I don't want to patronize Sting here because he did that. FTR must have been buzzing at the prospect. I'm convinced they've done nothing else but think about this match the second they thought they were getting it because... They worked around Sting's limitations. Not that they really felt like them. No. Positional skill was great. The storytelling was great. The cutoffs were great. Feeding his spots, they looked incredible. They were kids, weren't they? They were bouncing around like kids. Yeah, they were bouncing around like kids. And like I mean that in the nicest possible way because they were absolutely loving it and it was so um, infectious. The thing about FTR is that a lot of people have thought they've been a bit uneven in their run. This is certainly the high beyond full gear for me. I thought this was absolutely such an absolutely thrilling, borderline, well, just actually magical experience. Um, whether you think FTR are uneven or whether you think they're a bit boring with their steadfast things with the rules or you think they just have some nights where it's a bit more boring than it used to be or whatever. You know, I've had I've seen FTR matches in AEW and I'm thinking, you know, as good as you say you're on Twitter. They are better than they say they are on Twitter on this night. Absolutely incredible. So they were... Largely responsible for the layout, for how well Sting performed. But, like, there was a bit where Sting ran the ropes like, eight times. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about FTR is that whatever you think of them, I think I'm the high guy on, in what culture on FTR. They are cardio machines. Like, even if it doesn't feel like it, they are always running to cut people off. 
they're always quickly in and out, like stepping in and out of a rope, like try climb some stairs, Hamfler. Like that is going to tire you out more yeah. than walking. Like they exert so much cardio. And Sting, it's 62 years old, had to keep up with them the entire step of the way. And I don't want to like be a muscular coach or like a conditioning coach and admire it from that perspective. I'm just saying that is such an impressive thing mm. for Sting to have done. Um, this match was magic. This match was absolutely magical. Um, the bit with the, s- the chair was incredible drama because I thought, oh, that's how you beat Sting. No, he's the smartest guy in the room. He's the guy who's accrued the most experience. The breakup spot from Darby Allen was incredible. There was little moments where Dax and Cash, and again, it's similar to the referee thing. They had this lovely little bit where they were trying to outwit the referee, and I'm thinking, oh, you've done really well there because you've obscured the blind tag. You've got a few more extra I punches. Yeah, you've got a few more extra punches than you were allowed from the fresher guy. And I'm thinking, all you have to do is just stand in the ring, like you know, your <laughs> matches aren't going to get thrown out. So it does. It is kind of a failing of the rule application across the board that that spot didn't get over, but. To tag team nerds, it did. And I think that's... Yeah, I really mm. like that. I'm and so I think it. they were happy that we would have got it, even if it doesn't mean anything. In <laughs> in. More interaction between Sting and Tully. I'm more and more convinced day by day that we're going to get some mad, even one-on-one match from them. I don't know how they're managing to give so much profile to Sting and it not remotely chip away at this project ultimately being for Darby Allen. Mm. I, d- I don't get how they're doing it. I didn't get it in the... Um, the match at the pay-per-view against uh, Page and Sky, because that, I'll remember that panning shot of the two of them on the ropes and it being like, wow, Darby Allen's made here. And yet the whole thing, all our takeaways were Sting stuff. Same again here, all our takeaways are Sting stuff. And yet I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this is so great for Darby Allen. This is like, this is the rub. Like when he, when he whenever it is that they put a belt on him, it's going to feel like that this was like the last thing you needed to do, basically. And yet it's always Sting. It's like... Got to get the Sting stuff in. And yet Derby never once feels like this kind of passenger. No. Uh, um, like right next to this glowing legend in finding this like Indian summer of a performance night after night every time he does this. I don't know how I don't know how they're doing that because I feel like I've seen it time and time again, especially in WWE, where what happens is the kid ends up getting overwhelmed. It's probably a bad example, but I'm just thinking of like the Miz and Ric Flair off the, <laughs> off the top of my head. But there's been a billion of them. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it, the, the legend. You something. Never works. Never. And it's working. Yeah. Like the new Midnight Express. Yeah. AJ Styles dressed as Ric Flair. The Miz getting the figure four. This stuff does not work, and they are somehow making it work. Mm. It's unbelievable. Um, I had one more thing to say, and I can't remember what it was. I remember when Winter is Coming happened. Sting content day. It was great. Mm. <laughs> and um, someone put on Twitter, hang on, look at this. It was like, Sting's been lost record. He's on the roster page. Nil, nil, nil. Like singles, tags, trios. And I'm thinking, what? He's <laughs> not going to wrestle. You know, he's in contention for wrestler of the year. In terms of if professional wrestling is about summoning feelings, ultimately mm. through a dramatic physical performance, Sting's up there. He's, they're about like, let's be honest, if Butcher and Blade got to go, they're about one match away from a tag match. They're in Penta, Penta and Sting. Yes. <laughs> What's it going to do to Sting? Like the. <laughs> I mean, seriously. They've, got, they've won like three, four an hour or something. Butcher and Blade got in there off like, I don't know, half an hour or something <laughs> like that. And it's not even like Flair 2008 or like with all due respect, the man is a total legend. The very, very latter period Terry Funk. Mm. It's a level above like those mm. specific yeah. runs. Like, this is unbelievable. Uh, before we got to the main event and uh, find out who left as AEW Women's Champion, there was a sneak peek at Roads to the Top. Thoughts, Hamlet? Because I don't think we watched. I think we skipped past it, both of us. 
I don't want this show to exist, right? So the research was done and Total Divas, like all of this, like it sounds like I'm just being some like dickhead dude with gender biases on a podcast. But all the research and all these stats point to the fact that like Total Divas created this enormous crossover audience of female fans that came to watch WWE because they'd seen, let's say, the Bella Twins. And the Bellas specifically, I think, because then you had Total Bellas and that ran for ages and ages. There's this real strong connection built with the Bellas. That carried over at television while WWE were booking women more effectively for the first time in ages. Boom. Like, audience explosion that they didn't, that they should have been, like, catering to for years. So, for that and other reasons, all the sense in the world that Rose the Top exists. It's going to be on those channels. It stands potentially to chase those demographics in a way that Dynamite, well, covertly and overtly, hasn't really chased. So, it's business-wise, all that makes sense. Why... I don't want this to exist, and I don't even want to see clips on Dynamite, and that's my worry, is that you, you kind of have to bring the two together, because ideally you're looking for cross-pollination of your audiences. I love these documentaries in WWE, <laughs> because I am fascinated by the abusive relationships Vince McMahon keeps with his wrestlers. Or doesn't even keep Or doesn't keep with them. I feel sad on the wrestlers' behalves, but they're portrayed so horrifically on Monday Night Raw, or Best Wrestling Show on Television Smackdown, that... Just for five, just for five seconds, he's uh, joking. Yeah, yeah, that's a joke. Just for five seconds, you, you get to see you get to see the real person because you never get them any other time. How often has there been a twenty four special and it's like, where's that guy? Where's this character? Remember, remember the Dean Ambrose one? Yeah, like I. That's the one we always go back to, isn't it? Incredible. Where the where the f- is that guy? Why is he wearing a gas mask? Right. I want the literal opposite in AEW. I never want to know what goes on behind the scenes ever because the pretend pro wrestling is being presented to me exactly as it should be. There was a clip in that um, like little sort of short advert trailer for Rose to the Top, and it was Jade Cargill sat backstage on a sofa saying something like, it was like probably taken out of context, but I think the line was like something like, I don't want to do this, or I'm not feeling so good about that, and then it cuts to a slap or whatever in the ring. And they're doing that thing that they do where it's like sort of partial reality. I want to make something seem more dramatic than it was. I don't even want the AW wrestlers to be put in that position. I want 1,000% to see the people on the screen as being real, mm. and the people I invest in. It's it's the total opposite of how I like my WWE at this point, and I just don't want to... Uh, and I want to go back and watch these Dynamite matches and think, oh, well, now I know what was really happening behind the scenes, and somebody was a little bit pissy about a spot that they were going to do or whatever it was. I just... I would love somehow for them to be able to keep these worlds separate. I get it, but here's the thing. Everything you're going to see on Roads to the Top will be worked, as you said, mm. more dramatic effect. If you want an indication of morale, you want to see AEW wrestlers, like you might get Brian Cage having a bitch on Roads to the Top, right? Because it's Brian Cage. Hmm. You're not going to see it from most others because you can, if you watch the vlogs, and I don't, I'll see them clipped. But every vlog is like, it's the best ever. I can't believe I've looked out. So don't worry about anything like it, that. I, that's it. Being the elite feels like an extension of this joyous show because it's always people Sammy's having other vlog, things. Sammy's vlog. Sammy's vlog. Like yeah. everyone, you'll get the odd people like Brian Cage. But other than that, everyone seems to be having an absolute whale of a time. It's going to be perfect for Cody's heel run. I genuinely think that's contributing yeah. to the booze because even from the trailer, you it sense... Can be like, you sense Nasty this, Nick, like there's reality I, show baddies forever. Yeah, you sense this idea that like Cody's going to go back to doing these sort of... Like him and Brandy, you know, we pull ourselves up from nothing to live this life. This life is really hard. 
they say by the pool. We'd like sort of <laughs> the help in the house doing everything on the phone. We just haven't got enough hours in the day. That's going to be <laughs> ideal for the character that he's going to play on television. Yeah. Uh, right, let's get to the main event then. Britt Baker defending the AW Women's World Championship against Ruby Soho. Uh, early on, Soho nails her uh, with a kick that takes Baker out to the floor. Uh, Soho climbs the ropes, but of course, Baker's not only there on her own, she's flanked by uh, Reba, Rebel, uh, and Jamie Hayter. Uh, and... Uh, she jumps off the top, crossbodies Rebel and Hater, but that has allowed Baker to recover. Uh, Brad, Brad, Britt Baker hits her with a thrust kick and a neck breaker on the floor uh, to take us into the break. And when we come back, uh, Soho recovers, uses a head scissors to send Baker straight into the turnbuckle, uh, hits a series of running kicks, goes for a leg sweep, but Baker counters it with a big forearm smash. Soho hits a backdrop, hits a thrust kick. Uh, but Baker cuts her off again with a super kick. They're both down. Uh, Soho is really in a vulnerable position later on for the curb stomp, but she gets out of it, dodges it, and puts Britt Baker in a single-leg Boston Crab, uh, eventually catapults Baker into the turnbuckle and hits a step-up Inziguri and a top rope sent on for a fantastic near fall on all this. Uh, they go up to the top rope, and uh, Baker hits this bonkers avalanche air raid crash for another near fall. Uh, Baker uh, stomps Soho's face into the steps, curb stomp, another near fall. She's arguing with the officials count. Uh, early on, uh, Rebel's giving her the glove, by the way, so she's got that on for the lockjaw. Uh, in the midst of arguing with the officials, Soho rolls her up, gets a near fall off that. Soho hits that right kick. I wrote this down. The no future, that's what it's called. I'll try not to call it a riot kick anymore, but she nails that on Baker. But of course, up onto the apron, jumps Rebel, jumps uh, Hater. She hits the right, she hits the no future on uh, Rebel. Uh, she takes, she goes to attack Hater. There's a bit of a schmoz there, and that allows Baker to take advantage. She's recovered, and she manages to, to lock Soho in the lockjaw and gets the submission victory to ret retain. Uh, for someone who we've desperately said, oh, God's sake, turn her face, turn her face, because no one's buying her as a heel. I thought this was a brilliant heel performance uh, by Britt Baker, a title retention that keeps Soho just as strong as when she arrived in the company. What did you think of the main event, Sige? I don't want to be patronising using this word because I'm not saying blow away awesome on purpose because this wasn't blow away awesome. Mm -hmm. This match was very worthy of the event that it headlined. It definitely warranted the spot. I wish the fans were a little bit more into it. Mm. And I think if this opened, this is genuinely on the four-star level of like the hot work rate opener, I understand why it didn't open. They had to get the timing cues absolutely perfect. And they didn't want to do the two ad two mid-match commercials, which it probably would have done. And they'd get that extra time, TV time, uh, in the opening half an hour. That's why the first match always goes extended. They've done like three really long matches in the opener. And the pack, Omega, Iron Man, Bucks versus... Pack and Phoenix, do you remember mm -hmm. that one? Yeah. And this one, uh, Omega Danielson. So I understand why they ordered the card in the way they have, but to a degree, other than the height of the Sting stuff, everything, and it's weird that they were still hot for some of it, but the contrast of heat was, mm. everything else kind of diminished. So there was an element of that of a crowd just a little bit deflated and exhausted. So that certain spots got the reaction the build-up and there's a certain crackle of electricity missing that would have benefited this enormously. But some of the spots were great. The storytelling, while basic, was executed really well. And I was most impressed by the way that Britt Baker puts pissed vinegar intensity and crunch behind everything she does now. She used to do, when she was way greener, she used to 
come up with some stuff in a match, some of it you could tell was imposed by agents and these layouts imposed upon her that she would sometimes get lost in. And you could see her thinking about the next move. I get very little of that now. Mm. She is so confident. Some of her stuff looks really quite vicious at this point. There was a curb stomp here. That yeah. was the best one she's ever done. Um, I'd rather they sequence the card the way they did to get the most out of Mega Danielson. A byproduct was a crowd that was just 7 out of 10 after being 11. But most of this is a very, very worthy uh, finish to a very, very incredible show. The finish was what it was. You could see it coming the second that she was made to look like I'll be three people at once. Well, you lost all that matters, but you know, is what it is. But ultimately, the best way to measure this is perspective. If you had thought one month ago that Britt Baker was going to get over pretty much as a heel mm. in a main event dynamite match that was really, really good, you'd think, how the hell have they done that? <laughs> yeah. And they've done it. Yeah, I think that just on the finish, I think that was very much a necessary evil that has continued their patience that I think we didn't have for this Britt Baker heel character. Um, Apologise, like, for repeating stuff that I've tweeted verbatim. But she removed the DMD from the entrance. Mm -hmm. She's taken that away because the call and response is absolutely enormous. One of the biggest of the night. Again, the kind of thing you buy a ticket for, and now you can't do it. She's taken that away. That's brave because she knows, like, that that's going to keep her over and it must be difficult to think I'm going to get rid of that thing that makes loads of noise. But it just contributed to the further attempts for them to show patience because they're willing to stick to a plan. Um, we talked about the idea that they were setting up all these opponents for Britt Baker as champion, and then immediately it sort of felt like, well, I mean, look and listen, you've just got to kind of like abandon that plan. They haven't done that, but maybe it's starting to work, where this is the second major title defence in a row that has really, really clicked. And as good as Ruby Soho was here, and she had her best match in AEW so far at exactly the right time, so that was ideal. We know she can go, but like... It's I guess you got so little of it mm. in WWE that maybe the faith wasn't there yet that she could in such a on such a big stage and she did thought she was tremendous, um, but this was absolutely Britt Baker's night. Um, yeah, to kind of echo Sidgwick's point there, there's a confidence to it which is knowing your character and you love seeing it. There's the stuff that we can't really see the, the moving your left foot stuff. <laughs> all joking aside, you know that sort of stuff yeah. and what it is to watch a wrestler remove that half a second hesitation from everything they do is awesome because, again, never done this, never will. But that, to me, looks like what must be one of the hardest things to coach out of people because if you've just got it, and you, like, it must be, you'll be thinking about, you'll be thinking so hard to not do it that you'll do it even worse. Yeah. And I just think that, like, for her to have removed specifically that part of her game that was quite damaging to the, the like, the, the logic of the match, the story of the match, especially when she was working heel and she's on heat and she's on offense, um, night and day, from some of the matches from last year. And the prevailing feeling was that this is only going to get better. And if it does, you are headed to Thunder Rosa and that destination is going to feel wonderful. One thing as well before we crack on, well, not we've cracked on quite enough before <laughs> we wrap up because we spent ages on this one. Um, watching her improve, I used to get annoyed at the idea that we had to do this with the women's division. But actually watching her improve has been so unbelievably rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why a lot of people, in addition to the fact that she's awesome, have like really um, resonated with this character and this person behind it. The actual turn will be amazing. Yeah. For that reason. Right? We've already seen Baker do, oh, she's getting the camera. That's awesome. She's got the expression. She knows where the camera is. She knows how to improvise a reaction in front of it. That's great. But she's done that now. So what's next? 
her ability now to do like way cooler spots around the environment of the ring. She used to just be, I need to do my things in the ring and like tentatively, like visibly walk herself through it. Now, like her ring post steps just rule in every single match. Like she's so confident mm. in being able to like use the environment. It's great. She's going to be so good, even better in about one or two years time. I just love Ruby Soho being back in the ring as well and just being given the yeah. opportunity to to do what she can do. And now they've got a new new title potentially on the way as well. No spoilers there, but her rumors of a TBS title. Does. Sorry, her spot that she does when she evades the person going at the ring post and does the, like sort of a meteora double knee thing and then like puts herself back, that's class. Yeah, that so, was yeah. a really good spot as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Looks like she's going to be a really wonderful addition to this roster yeah. in, all the bo- in all the boring ways. Yeah. But like this division still desperately needs those boring ways. So she's going to be a, like a credit to this thing. Well, there you have it then. AEW Dynamite Grand Slam in the books. We've also got AEW Rampage Grand Slam to look forward to tomorrow. We'll be previewing that tomorrow, of course. But let us know your thoughts on Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch they can follow all three. Us, you can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Quite the birthday gift, this. Quite the birthday gift. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. But for now, this has been the AW Dynamite Grand Slam Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. Thanks once again for all your wonderful signs. And we will see you soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.